Good morning again. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Welcome to our Smyrna campus. We're glad you guys are with us today. Uh, anyone that's connected with us online through our live stream or listening to the podcast, we're glad you connected with us as well. We are in a series from the book of James. James is such a practical book. It's got uh, everyday nuggets of wisdom. And today we're focusing on uh, the title of the message is Not So Common Sense. There was a time when I think we had, just generally speaking in our culture, a lot more just what we would call common sense. But we also all know that over time, we probably know some people, maybe we could self-identify this way, there are people that have a lot of book knowledge and still don't have what we would call common sense. But that seems to be more the norm now. Common sense is just not so common anymore. And we see that in a lot of different ways in our culture and in our society. It's played out in a lot of different ways. One of the ways I see it played out is all the warning labels on products that are sold today. As if, as if we're just complete idiots, right? And the reason these warning labels are there is because some complete idiot did do this thing, Okay. And, and, and they probably sued somebody because they got hurt when they did it. And, and so I just wanted to share with you, this is from Reader's Digest. A while back they posted some actual warning labels that they came across, okay? On a wheelbarrow, it had this warning label, not intended for highway use. <laughs> warning label on a baby stroller, please remove the baby before folding, One of my favorites, this is on a thermometer. Once used rectally, the thermometer should not be used orally. <laughs> Might be common sense, right? I would hope. This was on Apple's website. Do not eat the iPod. I don't know who would ever think to eat an iPod. Uh, this was on a, uh, a carpenter's drill. This product is not intended for use as a dental drill. I can just see Bubba at the house saying, I'll get that for you, no problem, right? I'll get that root canal done. We'll save you some money. Warning on a takeout coffee cup. Avoid pouring on crotch area. <laughs> you know, they had to put that on there, right? Because McDonald's got sued when somebody spilled their coffee. It was hot, okay. Warning label on a jet ski. Never use a lit match or open flame to check the fuel level. Pretty good, all right. Uh, this was actually on a bottle of dog medication, all right. From a veterinarian's office, medicine for a dog. Here's what it said. May cause drowsiness. Use care when operating a car. Warning on a dishwasher. Do not allow children to play in the dishwasher. Oh, yeah. Again, one of my favorites. This is on a box of rat poison. Okay? Rat poison. Warning. Has been found to cause cancer in laboratory mice. You're about to kill the rat. I don't think cancer is the biggest problem here. Okay? Warning on vanishing eat ink uh, bottle, should not be used for signing checks or any legal documents. 
Morning on a hair dryer, one of the blow dryers. Do not use while sleeping. I don't know who sleep dries their hair. I don't, don't know. This is a warning label on a package of fireplace logs. Warning, caution, risk of fire. On fireplace logs, right? This is on a brass fishing hook. Harmful if swallowed. Warning on a label uh, on a can of pepper spray. May irritate eyes. I hope so. That's the whole point, right? That's the whole point. I've seen these at our toner cartridges here. Do not eat toner. Well, in our world where they eat Tide Pods, that might be important, okay? This was on a letter opener. You know the little letter openers you could get, like a little bitty sword spear kind of thing, right? It said this, safety goggles recommended. That's how ridiculous we've gotten with our warning labels. Do you know why? It's because common sense is not so common anymore. People keep doing crazy things. That's why, to me, the book of James is such a practical book for us as a church today. People are growing up without some of the common sense and in a culture that lacks a lot of the common sense that previous generations have grown up with. And so it's important for the church to teach these things because they're not hearing these things out there in the culture the way they used to. There used to be a lot more support for Christianity and uh, the moral teachings of the Bible outside the church and our culture than there is now. And because it's not there anymore, it makes it that much more important for the church to teach these things that God says is wisdom for us. Remember way back in the first message in James chapter 1 and verse 5, James said this, If any of you lacks, what's that word? Wisdom. You should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So James is encouraging us to be honest about the fact that we may not have the wisdom we ought to have. And if, we, if we're honest about that, he says there's a way to gain it. And, and the source, he says, to go to for wisdom is not the culture, it's not the government, it's not the school. Where is it? God. Ask God for that wisdom. Because he is the source, James says, of ultimate wisdom. Now, you might substitute the word common sense for wisdom. Because wisdom is more than just head knowledge. It is the ability to apply knowledge properly. We used to just have more of that as common sense. But now, it needs to be taught because people lack wisdom. Now, this... These examples I gave already are kind of humorous, aren't they? But this has potential, very serious consequences that we see being played out right now in our culture. I'm going to share a couple of examples with you. might be a little controversial, but, but I'm okay with that because I trust in the wisdom of God, okay? And, and God's word is sometimes controversial in the eyes of the world. But here, here's something that happened recently. It's been happening for a while now. Three Girls who participate in high school athletics and track in high school are suing the state of Wisconsin and the high school athletic association because males who identify as females are entering and signing up for the track team at their girls' high school. They're biological males, but they're self-identifying as females. And they're winning all the competitions. 
because they're still biological males. And, and the reason uh, uh, women had a great uh, something that happened a while back that was really good is called Title IX. It was legislation to try to make sure schools gave equal support for women's athletics, right? Title IX was a good thing. It was a needed thing. But you know what? The House just passed legislation called the Equality Act. You know what the Equality Act includes? It makes it law that high schools and colleges have to allow, even those who are biologically male, the opportunity to participate in women's athletics if they identify as females. And they're already winning competitions on the college level as well. And they're already getting scholarships to college that could have gone to biological females, but instead they've been won by biological males. You see how common sense can be lost completely? And all of this fighting and battling over gender and all of that? We've just lost all common sense. We're losing. Uh, ladies, I want you to understand something. When you sound, Equality Act sounds like a good thing. But when you look at the implications of what it's going to do to Title IX and all the gains that women got in women's athletics, it's going to rip those apart. You see, you don't look, equality just sounds so good, doesn't it? And equality is a good thing until you don't apply common sense to it. It's not common sense to let biological males compete in female athletic events. Common sense would tell you that just doesn't make any sense at all. It's not fair to the biological females for that to happen. Not only is it not fair, but according to science, it's just wrong. You know, people like to bring up science when it supports their view. I like to bring up science for evolution and, and things like that. But they, don't, they just completely ignore science on some of these other issues. The American College of Pediatrics, which is a national organization of pediatricians and other healthcare professionals that are dedicated to the health and well-being of children, has made a bold statement about gender identity on their blog. Here's what they said. The American College of Pediatrics, uh, Pediatricians urges educators and legislators to reject all policies that condition children to accept as normal a life of chemical and surgical impersonation of the opposite sex. Here's what they said. Facts, not ideology, determine reality. Did you catch that? Scientific facts is what they're talking about here. Not ideology should determine reality. They also went on to say that people who identify as feeling like op the opposite sex or somewhere in between do not comprise a third sex. They remain biological men or biological women. In addition, the college asserts that if someone who is born male thinks he's a female, or vice versa, that it's a psychological issue and a disorder at that. Here's what their statement says. A person's belief that he or she is something they are not is at best a sign of confused thinking. When an otherwise healthy biological boy believes he's a girl or an otherwise healthy biological girl believes she's a boy, an objective psychological problem exists that lies in the mind and not the body, and it should be treated as such. These children suffer from gender dysphoria, uh, formerly listed as gender identity disorder. It's a recognized mental disorder in the most recent edition of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of the American Psychiatric Association. In other words, even totally separate from Scripture, totally separate from any teaching of God, science says this just does not make any sense at all. 
but we've lost all common sense in the name of equality, right? We're just going to forget what the science really says and do what we want to do, follow our ideology, even when it goes against all the evidence to the contrary. Now, I don't say that to be mean-spirited in any way. God still loves people who, who may be male and feel like they're female or female and feel like they're male. God doesn't love them any less because of that. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about common-sense application of truth. Okay? It's not mean-spirited to say the truth to present the facts. It's to do it in the way that needs to be done. So as a church, it's important for us to present what God says about this. Not only is there science that speaks to this, but God's word speaks directly to these common sense issues too. In Genesis 1.27, listen to the creation story. Genesis 1 verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. What are those next two words? Male and what? Female, he created them. He created two genders, male and female. There are no other genders created by God. So it, it doesn't deny the fact that some people might feel like they, they should be the other gender. That's not what we're saying. It's saying the fact is, scientifically and scripturally, there are only two genders. And you're either one or the other biologically by the way you're made. One of those two. So we need to get back to common sense again. And stop allowing ideology to go totally against the clear evidence from Scripture and from science. So, today we're going to look at a passage. And we're now, uh, we've been going right along in James. We're in chapter 3, beginning with verse 13. We're going to look at some more wisdom from James, where he actually addresses the idea of having wisdom from God or wisdom from the world. Okay? God's wisdom or the world's wisdom. And he's going to contrast those two kinds of wisdom in Scripture. Because as a church, even if the world adopts something that is totally opposed to what the Scripture says, what are we supposed to do? Be true to Scripture. If we really say we trust God, we're going to let Him rule over our lives, then we have to let His authority rule in these areas that culture is struggling with. All right? Here's the objective in verse 13. That James introduces. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it. How? By their good life, by deeds done, and the humility that comes from what? Wisdom. So he introduces the objective here, and that is that we are wise and understanding. That's what he wants for us. That's what God wants for us. That the church, of all the people in the culture, that the church, Christ followers, are known for wisdom and understanding. I want to break down those two words. I want to start with the word understanding. That word has more to do with technical knowledge. He says he wants us to gain understanding. Understanding means having the right information. You see, sometimes people make honest mistakes because they were basing it on the wrong information. Can't that happen to anybody? It can happen to me anytime. It can happen to you. You've been told something. You've been taught something, whether it's right or wrong. You were taught that, you grew up with that, and so you're acting on what you believe to be good information. Turns out maybe it wasn't good information, and that can get you in trouble. It could cause problems. So he says, all right, you need to have good information. You need to have facts. You need to have uh, an understanding of what the, of what the facts mean. So, so the information you're basing your decisions on needs to be good, solid information. 
Uh, that's the foundation for wisdom is it's built upon having that good information to start with. Uh, Romans 12, uh, my life verse is Romans 12, 1 and 2. And verse 2 says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world. So he's saying right away, don't get your information where? From the world. Not as a Christ follower, okay? He's writing to Christ followers there. Don't, don't base your, informa- your decisions on the information the world is giving you. Here's what he says. But be transformed, be changed, make decisions on how you're going to live your life and change your life. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, he says, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. He's saying, I want you to have the information from God so that it can change the decisions you make on how you're going to live your life. And not only that, but when you get that information, it's going to give you the ability to test and approve what God's will is. People are always saying, I just don't know what God's will is on this. You know how you determine God's will? You look at God's word. You get the information that God's already given you. People are always saying, I'm just seeking the will of God, and they never open their Bibles. You can't seek God's will without God's word. If you want to be transformed into the image of Jesus, you have to know what Jesus taught. You have to know what God teaches in his word to be transformed by it. He says, if you get that information, oh, here's what's going to happen. You'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. You'll be able to discern what God's will is for you in this area if you have the right information to work with, okay? And here's what he says about God's will. This is the thing we miss all the time. Satan is a liar. He's a deceiver. You know what he says from the very beginning with Adam and Eve? He said, God's keeping information from you because he doesn't want you to have it because you'll be better if you have it and you won't need God anymore. Right? But here's what he says about God's will here in Scripture. His will is good and pleasing and perfect. He's the creator. Who knows better than the creator what will bless you and what will hurt you? Nobody. Who knows better than the creator of all things how things are supposed to work? Nobody. If you know what he says about it, then you can know his good, pleasing, and perfect will for you in your life. Perfect means complete. It covers everything in your life that you need to have wisdom in. That wisdom is found in God's word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed, okay? So when you open your Bible and you read those words, where did it come from? Directly from the mouth of God Himself, okay? This is not men's invention. This is not men's theory about how things might be. This is directly from the mouth of God. Now, as a Christ follower, you either accept the authority of Scripture or you don't. And if you don't accept the authority of Scripture, you're not accepting the authority of God because the Scripture is God-breathed. You are rejecting God's authority in your life if you reject what the Scripture teaches about these things. You're turning your back on God if you turn your back on His teachings because it comes directly from Him. So he says all Scripture is God-breathed, and here's the thing about it. It's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Wow. He says this information in Scripture, it's got all the stuff you need to lead you to wise decisions in your life, to equip you to do with your life all that God planned for you to do, created for you to do. Uh, He made you for these things. 
And Scripture reveals that to us. The information in God's Word is the foundation for the wisdom of God. Okay? Now, it's not the foundation for the wisdom of the world. We understand that. The wisdom of the world is at odds with the wisdom of God. But the wisdom of God and Christ followers say that's the wisdom we want. That's what we're looking for. That wisdom comes from the Word of God. That's where it comes from. So, he's saying we need to then, the first thing under the, the, the objective is to gain understanding. And the second thing is, well, then the other word he uses is to gain wisdom, right? Because you can have all the information and still be a fool with how you apply it or don't apply it to your life. And so he's saying with that information, you start there, you get the information from God, you get it from God's word, but then you can decide what you're going to do with that, can't you? You can decide to ignore it. You can just decide to only accept the parts that you like, the only ones that make you feel good and, and, and that were what you wanted to do anyway, which is what a lot of people are doing with God's Word, right? I'm only going to accept the parts that I like. The rest of it I'm just going to write off as, as not applicable to me in my life today. But wisdom from God means now that I understand what God says, the wise thing to do is to apply it to my life the way God says to apply it to my life. To let it teach me, to let it guide me, to let it change me the way God says it's supposed to change me. That is where wisdom comes in. That's a wise thing to do. Proverbs has a lot to say about wisdom, and in Proverbs 2 and verse 6 it says this, For the Lord gives wisdom, from His mouth come knowledge and understanding that word understanding could be translated wisdom right you see you could have knowledge and still not understand how that needs to be applied properly wisdom is the application of the knowledge in the right way so when God reveals clear teaching about something the application of that and the submission to that in your life is where wisdom is gained you're wise enough to accept God's authority and his teaching to the point that you're willing to obey it in Proverbs 8, 35 and 36, this is wisdom speaking in this proverb. It says, for those who find me, find life and receive favor from the Lord. Do you want God's favor on your life? Yeah, then what do you have to seek to have God's favor? Wisdom from where? From God. We are living in this paradoxical culture that says we want God to bless us, but we don't want to accept his wisdom. We don't want to conform to his teaching. But God still bless us, keep us from being hurt, keep us from harm. But I'm not going to live by your wisdom, God. I still want you to bless me anyway. He says, those who find me find life and receive favor from the Lord. But those who fail to find me, what do they do? They harm themselves. All who hate me love death. You know what God's wisdom is all about? Life as he intended life to be. Life that blesses, life that builds up, life that is healthy and good. So when we refuse to accept his wisdom, what does that invite into our lives? Harm and sickness and disease and death. I'll give you a really clear example of that. The CDC, the Center for Disease Control in the U.S. and around the world, they, they monitor things like transmitted diseases and things like that and treatments for those diseases stds you probably recognize those initials those are sexually transmitted diseases 
Okay? We've had a couple of generations now of sex education in our schools for several generations now. We've had uh, a whole bunch of the culture telling us that the church is wrong and the church is, is way off base and teaching morality the way God teaches it. And what are the results? The CDC says now, today, there are more sexually transmitted diseases harming people's lives than ever before since they started recording it. By far. And here's the other scary part of it. The treatments for those diseases are becoming less and less and less effective all the time. And these diseases are causing long-term harm and sometimes even death to people's lives. And you know what they're not willing to admit? That if we just followed God's plan, that wouldn't be a problem at all. The only plan they've got is to try to come up with better cures and do more sex education. That's their only plan. So far, that hasn't worked very well. What would common sense tell you then? We might ought to change course. We might ought to do something different than this. We might ought to go back to prevention instead of trying to treat the problem. Because if you follow God's plan sexually, you don't have a problem with STDs. You don't have a problem with having to come up with cures for more diseases. And the pain and the heartache and the suffering that it's causing. You see the difference there? You see, God didn't put those boundaries there to hurt you or to hurt me. He put those boundaries there because there's wisdom in what he's saying. It protects us and it gives us the life that he wants us to have, that he's always wanted us to have. Where we don't have to fear and struggle with those problems like we do in our culture today. You see the benefit of the wisdom of God? That's when, when, you, when you get this. Listen to me. When you get this, you begin to understand the love of God more than you've ever understood it before. When you get this, you begin to value the teachings of God more than you've ever valued them before because they're there to bless us, not to hurt us, not to keep us from something good. You remember what Satan said to Eve? Did God say don't eat fruit from any of the trees? And Eve said, no, no, no. God said we can eat fruit from any of these trees except that one. And, and Satan basically said, well, God lied to you. He's keeping you from something good. Right? So a decision had to be made. You know what the decision was? Do I trust the wisdom of God or do I think I know better than he knows? Do I trust God or do I think I'm smarter than God or that the culture is smarter than God? The creator of all things. The wisdom that comes from God is is there because of the love of God. Nothing else. It's not in any way there to keep us from anything good. Some people have joked that's why women have such a hard time deciding where to go eat because the first time they decided that, they doomed the whole human race. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to find a way to use that one. I thought it fit really well. So the objective, according to James, is for us to have wisdom and understanding, to get the information and to apply the wisdom of God to the information so we make better decisions that bring health and vitality and goodness to our lives and to the lives of others that we affect. Because the problem with getting outside those boundaries is, is that it not only hurts the person who gets outside the boundaries, it hurts innocent people too when we do that, right? 
Look at the STDs, the spread of that. It's hurting a lot of innocent people, too, who didn't do the wrong things. They're suffering from that, too, because other people, their effects are affecting them. So you see, God put those boundaries there out of love. So let's look at the obstacles to, the problem, to this uh, objective. There, there are obstacles to us doing this. I've already alluded to it, but let's look at verses, verses 14 to 16. He says, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambitions in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, and notice in the NIV, wisdom is in what? Parentheses. It's like he's doing air quotes. Such wisdom, right? I love how James does this. This is so cool. Such wisdom is, it does not come down from heaven, but it's what? Earthly, unspiritual, and then he uses another word, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. So let's look at the, the problem of applying this wisdom in our culture today, the, the obstacles to it. This worldly wisdom, its source is earthly. He says not only earthly, but it's, it's earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's demonic. Wow. The wisdom that is not from God is earthly, it's unspiritual, it's even demonic. You know what it says about Satan? The enemy, he comes to kill and to steal and to destroy. You know how he does it? Lies and deceptions. He gets us to accept and believe and act on things that are simply not wise. He gets us to accept them as good and right and pure when in fact they are worldly, earthly, unspiritual, and even demonic. See, if we, if we could just learn to discern the difference here, think of the difference that it can make in our culture, in our own lives personally, but in the whole culture. If we could just learn to discern between worldly wisdom and the wisdom of God and the value of the wisdom of God as compared to the world's wisdom. He says, where you bring this wisdom and follow this wisdom that is, that is earthly, you have disorder and every evil practice. Proverbs 26 and verse 12, it says this. Do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for them. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? You think you're so smart you don't need God or what God teaches? That's one of the most foolish decisions you could ever make. It's to think that way about what God's trying to do. Here's the reason it's so foolish. It's because God, first of all, is smarter than you. And secondly, it's because God wants only what's best for you. And you just don't get it yet. You just don't understand yet. That's, that's what God wants for you. It's only what's good for you. And we keep listening to anybody but God. And everything but God. Telling us how we ought to live our lives. Instead of the wisdom of God. It's no wonder we're bringing hurt and pain and disease. People always ask, why does God allow all the suffering in the world? God allows us to make our own choices. That's why. We're not robots. He gives us free will. He wants us to choose wisely, but when we don't, there are consequences that come with that. God loves us so much, He wants us, he wants us to love Him back. And when we don't, then we make choices outside of His will. 
And we suffer consequence after consequence after consequence. And our approach in the culture is, let's just find fixes for all the problems. Instead of, let's go back to doing it God's way and eliminate the problems. Right? Isn't that the way we do it? Let's just fix it, find ways to fix it so we can keep doing the things outside of the will of God. As long as we can fix it, we can keep doing it. The problem is the consequences aren't always fixable. The hurt, the pain, the suffering doesn't go away. It's still there. And God's wise enough to let us know. The problem with it is the motivation behind it. It's motivation, this earthly wisdom. The motivation is selfish ambition. That's what's behind it all. I want what I want. I want it my way. I don't care what God says about it. And I want to be okay with it. And I want everybody else to be okay with it. And I want them to fix anything that goes wrong if it does go wrong. It's amazing to me how, how we treat the healthcare system in our country. It's all about treating the problem. More money is spent on finding treatments than any other part of our health care system. Why not start on the front end? Being honest with people about the fact that if you keep eating the way we eat in America, disease will keep running rampant in our country. That's just the truth. We're eating in such unhealthy ways, it's going to have long-term negative effects on our bodies. There's no way around it. Why not tell the truth? Because we can make more money treating the diseases. Selfish ambition. We get grants for research. We get money for the medicines and the, and the trademarks and, and patents for the medicines. We, we make money off of all of these diseases and all of these struggles that we're having. Selfish ambition. And the other end of the selfish ambition is, but I want to eat that. I like that. So you fix that, and not only that, but you give me more of it than you used to give me. Portion size in America has more than tripled in 40 years at restaurants. Portion sizes at restaurants has more than tripled in the last 40 years. You think that might be a problem? You think that might be why we're struggling with some of the health problems that we have? Absolutely. But you see, nobody wants to tell the truth about it. We just want them to fix us when we get sick. We want them to give us pills and treatments that will make us well instead of making the changes that the wisdom of God would say we need to make. You see, God's Word even speaks to those things. If we ate the way God teaches in His Word, it would change the, the health care problem in America completely. It would. That's just the truth. And people don't like to hear the truth sometimes because personally it hurts. Now, it hurts me to hear some truth too. I, I, I understand. I'm right there with you. I like hamburgers. I do. I like hamburgers with mayonnaise and mustard and ketchup, but I throw on some lettuce and tomato to make it healthy. That does not make a hamburger healthy. It does not. And I'm not saying you can't eat meat. Of course you can. But meat used to be a rare treat only on special occasions and cultures before us. How many times do Americans eat meat on average? Twice a day. Every day on average. Wow. 
And churches are some of the worst guilty parties because when we have our fellowship meals and we do the meals for our events, we serve unhealthy stuff. We do. And celebrate it like it's great. And joke about it. You see, it might be that we need to wise up. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1 through 5, it says this. Mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. You think they just described our culture today? Absolutely. This is the culture we're in. And it's time for the church to start standing up for the wisdom of God. Because the result of all of this is disorder and every evil practice. Think about if we don't bring this under control, if we don't speak up as the church, here's the thing that's going to happen. This is progressive. It's not going to stop. Right now, not only is there this problem with biological males being involved in athletics with girls. There's more than that. There are groups out there now promoting pedophilia as good and acceptable, sex with children. Well, if there are no moral standards, then why not? If there is no God and there is no moral standard other than the cultural standard, and you could convince enough people that this is okay who want to do this, and you get a majority finally that will vote for it, what will happen? That'll be legalized too. You see? Now, I'm not saying that is going to happen. I'm not trying to be a prophet here. I'm saying when you don't have any guidance, a moral standard from God, and you don't allow Him to be the standard, then the culture gets to determine all of that standard. And if the culture gets to determine the standards, then the culture, if they're convincing enough and they use social media well and, and they, they, make it, they paint it in a, a beautiful picture, a beautiful light is a good thing. If you can convince enough people that it's good and they decide it's good, then the whole culture has to accept it as good. So that's why wisdom is so important. So here's the final thing I want to talk about. That's the obligation we have as Christ followers, okay? The obligation we have as Christ followers, let's look at uh, verses 17 and 18. He reminds us again of the wisdom that comes from God. All right? The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all what? Pure, and then what? Peace-loving, it's considerate, it's submissive, it's full of mercy, it's good and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So I think we've got two obligations as Christ followers in our culture. The first one is this, is to be discerning. We have to start being more discerning as Christ followers, okay? We've got to decide in the church. When I say the church, who am I talking about? Us. Do we accept God's authority or not for our lives? Do we believe it's best do we believe God has greater knowledge and wisdom and insight than we do? And then are we willing to accept that? We've got to decide that as a church, as individuals who make up the church. 
Either we do or we don't. There's no middle ground here. If you're on middle ground, then you don't accept it. That is not accepting it if you try to keep middle ground here. So you either do accept that God's authority should rule over us or not. And you do accept that His wisdom is good for us or you don't. Those are the only choices you've got. It's the only choices I've got. I choose to believe God's smarter than me and He's smarter than our government and He's smarter than the culture. I believe His wisdom is greater than any wisdom we have. Paul thought that too. In Romans eleven thirty three. 33, he said this. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable is judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has ever been his counselor? <laughs> who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and, uh, and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. God says the wisdom, I mean, Paul says in God's word that the wisdom of God is far greater than man's wisdom. I love that, that question he asked. Who's ever been his counselor? Anybody in here God's counselor that God's asked you for counsel? No, me either. God doesn't ever ask me for counsel. You know why? He doesn't need my counsel. I need his counsel. The other way around. So the wisdom of God is greater than man's wisdom. So here's the, here's the key. We need to learn to discern the wisdom of God. Philippians 1, 9 through 11. This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He's saying what God wants for you to more than anything else is for you to start being filled with the wisdom of God because that's what will bless your life. When you act on that wisdom, that's where you're going to find the greatest blessings when you act on that wisdom. So the first obligation we have, I think, is to start being discerning. The second obligation we have then when we have that discernment is to take a stand. To take a stand. Now, when I say take a stand, I want to tell you what I don't mean. I do not mean that we are angry, bitter people. I do not mean that we treat anybody in any way but kindly and with decency and respect, no matter where they are in their lives. That's not what taking a stand as a church means, being mean-spirited or angry and, and being uh, out there just really trying to, to hurt people in any way. That's not taking a stand for God at all. And to try to, to destroy people on social media or their stand or their position, that's not what I'm talking about here. We're taking a stand. It's not what we're talking about. That's not scripturally doing it the way God says to do it. He says, speak the truth in what? Love. That's a totally different approach than what so many Christians and so many churches are doing today. This mean-spirited yelling and screaming at people will never, ever bring glory and honor to God, ever. And this tearing down and trashing people in political positions or wherever they are trying to, to do what they do in their roles, that's not the will of God. That's not speaking the truth in love. So we have to take a stand in the right way, in the loving way. And here's what I want you to understand. To do that means, first of all, that we're discerning enough to get our own house in order. 
He says, don't try to get a speck out of your brother's eye while you've got what in your eye? A plank in your own eye. We've got to get our own house in order if we want to influence other people for Christ. We've got to stop accepting certain things that are outside the will of God as okay for us while we're condemning other people for the things that are outside the will of God in their lives. Things like lying, things like gluttony, things like not honoring marriage the way we need to. See, when we're, when we're living outside God's will in those areas, we can't, we can't have much impact or influence in a culture that is rejecting the wisdom of God. If the church is not even accepting the wisdom of God in those areas, then why in the world should we have any say in the culture? You see, we only pick out the ones we're not doing to yell about and scream about and protest and hold up signs. We pick the ones we may not be doing to say, that's so bad, that's so wrong, instead of cleaning up our own house. We need to get our own act together. And be the set-apart, distinct, holy people, pure and holy before God that God has called us to be. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about willfully going on in sin, even though we know that's not what God says. We can't keep doing that and expect to impact our culture the way God wants us to impact our culture. We can't. We've got to get our act together. And I'm talking to me and you, all of us. We all have to do this. Because it's easy to condemn what we're not doing. While at the same time, we're doing some things we don't need to be doing either. Or not doing some things we should be doing as Christ follows. So let's get the plank out of our own eye. Then he says we can help correct other people. But we still need to speak the truth in love when we do that. Here's what he says in Ephesians 2. I mean Ephesians 6 beginning with verse 10 about what we need to do to, to equip ourselves to have the impact God wants us to, the stand that God wants us to take. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So who do we not need to be attacking? Other people. We don't need to be attacking other people. That's not the enemy. That's not who our struggle is against. Who is our struggle against? Satan and his deceitful schemes, his deceitful teaching. That's the enemy. Okay? So, he says, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's the enemy, the work of Satan and his demons. That's the enemy. Okay? Therefore, since that's the enemy, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, okay, so when he says stand your ground, he's not talking about attacking anybody else. He's talking about keeping your life where it needs to be. You keep your life where it needs to be. That's standing your ground. It's not attacking anybody. It's putting your life in line with the wisdom of God. That's standing your ground, OK? 
Okay? He says, here's how you're going to need to do that. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And then he asked for a personal prayer. He says, pray also for me that wherever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. I'm going to ask you to pray for me and for any other teacher of God's word, that same prayer. Here's the prayer that we can fearlessly proclaim what? The gospel. You know what the word gospel means? Good news. You see, what God wants for you is good news. The good news is he loves you and he knows what's best for you and he only wants to bless you. That's the good news. And the church needs to fearlessly stand up for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, Father, I'm so grateful for a church where we do seek wisdom from you. And we don't just accept whatever the culture says. But Father, within the church, there are individuals that are battling this battle every day. There are lies, there are deceptions, there's misinformation out there. And we know it comes from selfish ambition. That's the motivation behind it. Help us to be wise and discerning so we're not duped, so we're not deceived into accepting untruths into our lives that will hurt us or hurt other innocent people through us. Father, help us to value your teachings for the good that they are, to value them so much that we apply them first to ourselves, and then in love we teach them to others. And Father, if there's anyone here today, anyone listening today that has made the decision that they want to embrace your wisdom, your teaching, your guidance into their lives, may this be the day that they come fully submissive to your will because they know how much you love them, that you let your son die for them on that cross. Father, if you did that for us, there's no good thing you would ever try to keep us from. We thank you for your love and for the wisdom of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.